Some people say that, that the book of Revelation was written, as was most of the New Testament, before the persecution of Nero, and that happened around mid-60. Okay? Jesus died in A.D. 30-33, uh, and the church began A.D. 33 through, you know, and as it goes on kind of thing. And as such then, uh, some people say, you know, this all fits in with... Okay. Everything happens before Nero persecutes the church and kind of explains what's going to be happening. Okay? Right. I can see that. Some people say that it wasn't until the Emperor Domitian, okay, at the end of in AD 90, uh, as John lives his natural life through uh, uh, and dies, the only apostle to die naturally, uh, and lives his life, he is on, in exile on Patmos, okay? And as such then, it's been, been put in exile. History also ascribes to that or, or backs that up kind of thing. What that does, and the reason that that's such a divide there, is that the, the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 was something that Jesus pointed to in Matthew 23, 24, again in Mark 13. <coughs> Excuse me. That singular event, okay, when Rome took over Jerusalem, and destroyed the temple was something that Jesus talked about. It was uh, one of those um, watershed moments. Okay? At this point, the temple no longer served its purpose. Right? It no longer served its purpose. In fact, most people, or all of us as Christians, understand the temple quit serving its purpose when Jesus became our high priest and entered into the presence of God. Okay? But for those who were Jews, okay, that was one of those historical point back to this is when it happened things. Now, if I can date the book, let me kind of walk you down that trail for a minute. If I date the book before AD 70, then I can see how that becomes that historical watershed moment. And I can say, okay, everything fit together. I can read the book and it's good and I can learn from it. If I wait till after, okay, if I wait till after, then that is somewhere in the book and there's something else that's going to go on and then you know, I'm kind of on this historical path all right, where I'm trying to look for those cataclysmic events that happen and how they move forward. Okay so far? Right? Okay. So, which is it? Yes and yes. Okay, yes and yes. Nobody can agree. Everybody understands. If you look at page two of your outline, okay, uh, page two of your outline, there are four views. Uh, and I had a, had a Baptist preacher tell me one time, he said, so you're, are you pre-millennialist? And I go, no. He said, are you amillennial? Meaning not, you know, pre-millennial says that there's going to be a thousand year reign, you know, that Jesus and these are going to face heaven. Amillennial says there's not a thousand years. Post-millennial says it's already happened, you know, and you know, see all these words is confusing, right? He says, are you, are you a pre-millennialist? I said, no. He said, are you a post-millennialist? No. I said, are you a millennial? I go, no. He goes, well, what are you? I said, I'm a pan-millennialist. Millennialist. <coughs> I can't even say it. He goes, I have never heard that. What's a pan-millennialist? I said, I say it's going pan out. <laughs> and that, not, not to be tongue-in-cheek, but the thing is, is that that's my point, is that as you look at those things... What happens is if I take you here and I show you four different views, then you're going to be tempted to choose one. Okay? I think this. And that takes you out of the book altogether, and then you start doing what everybody else does. All right, What everybody else does, they take themselves out of the book and they start standing on a 
corner and telling you how the bus wrecked. You remember us talking about that months and years ago, kind of thing, when we started this? Is that a lot of people look at the Bible and they say, you know what, I'm a preterist. Okay? And I see the book of Revelation this way. Well, I'm a historicist. Histor okay? And I see it this way. Or I'm a, what is the other one? I'm a, a, a futurist or I'm an idealist kind of thing. And so they sit and they talk about all these things about what happened in the book of Revelation from four different viewpoints. And nobody's talking about what's important. The book of Revelation's there. Okay? Nobody wants to read it okay? because you know, all of these Goofy-haired preachers through the years have pointed to it and, and drawn bedsheet pictures. Okay, this is really true in the South, by the way. I read this. Okay, instead of chalkboards, okay, these preachers would go from, from congregation to congregation, and they would take these huge king-sized bedsheets, okay, and they would paint. Okay, they would paint, literally paint on them depictions from the from Revelation with outlines and numbers and all these things, and they would tack them to the walls. Okay. And then they would spend hours and hours and hours explaining why they felt this way, how this is going to move, and how this is the mother of all wars, and how this is the thousand-year reign, and when this is going to happen, and Jesus is coming soon, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to believe me when I say, you know, and there he goes. It's like when a preacher says in the Greek, you know, he doesn't, you know he's on shaky ground because he's pulling, he's pulling, you know, right on him. When a preacher says, well, in the original it means. It's there. It's translated. We have to work with different words, yes, but we come to an understanding of what that means. So, I want to take you to that outline that I gave you. You can read it if you want. Okay? But I would caution you in, in reading that. Most of what I wanted to do is show you that that's what exists. The outline probably is the best thing. Okay, as far as the you know, Roman numeral 1 ABC. Okay, that's probably the best part of it. We're going to stay with that. Now, having said that, <coughs> what can we get from the book of Revelation? Let me do this this way. John, like many Jews, okay, are uh, numerologists. Right? In other words, numbers are big to them. Okay? Seven is a holy number. Uh, six is an evil number. Okay? Um, and we've talked about that before. Uh, Twelve is a perfect number. Uh, and then three is a perfect number. So anytime things come in threes or sevens or twelves, you know this is good. Okay? Anytime they happen in sixes or fours, you know this is not good. Okay? So notice what happens as you read through the book of Revelation. There are how many bowls of wrath? Guess how many? If it's a bad thing, it's how many bowls are you going to look for? Six. Okay? If there are trumpets, okay, and there are seven trumpets, that's a what kind of thing? That's a good thing, okay? Already, so you've, you've unlocked most of the book of Revelation, okay? Just by understanding the numbers. Now, if you have, if you had, and this is, this is the idea. When Goliath came out to meet David in 1 Samuel 17, when Goliath went out to meet David, when you read the text carefully, it says that he was six cubits and so tall, his spearhead weighed six, da 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 and he had carried with him six, da 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 If you put all that together, you got a six, six, six. This was a bad dude who was what? Really bad, who was really, really bad, okay? Goliath was a six, six, six. Okay, right? Guess what happens in the book of Revelation? There's another one, and he's a six, 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 so he's a what? He's a bad guy. Now, understanding that, when I do 144,000, okay, 144,000, this is a, a 12 times 12 thing, okay, it's a gross, basically, okay, 
um, kind of uh, gross number, uh, 144,000. Now, people will talk about the 144,000. I'm sure you've heard people talk about that, that interpretation that, you know, this represents the perfect thing, you know, kind of thing. Well, it is and it isn't, okay? Because of all the tribes mentioned in the 144,000, and I love talking to people about this because they tell me, oh, yes, this represents all of the, all of the people of Israel and the 144,000 will be included. I said, well, what happened to the tribe of Dan? And they look at me and go, what? I said, God, and Dan's not there. What do you mean? And I said, it's missing. If you go over there and you look at the 144,000, there's a tribe missing. And they said, huh? And they, it blows their mind. Because now it's not perfect anymore. Okay? It's not simple. You have a book like, or a number like um, the thousand year reign. Okay? How long do you expect to live? 100 years? Okay? Can we say that? All right. Let's just say that. Okay, let's all live to 100 and be here <coughs> and enjoy each other's company. 100 years. Okay? So what's 1,000 years? Much more than you live. All right? Longer than you'll ever know. All right? <coughs> in history, excuse me, in history, as far as what we have recorded for us or that we've discovered so far, you know, kind of thing, um, we can count modern history in about 2,000, 3,000 years. Does that make sense? I mean, as far as what we just kind of sit down on and say, this is what we can agree about. Okay. So it says there's a thousand year reign. What is that? What's going to be longer than you live? Does that make sense? Okay. Now, numbers. Numbers are important, yes. Numbers, and everybody tries to unlock the key. Now, what is the secret to the book of Revelation? Let me encourage you with this. If it's a number bigger than you live, just understand that this has this goes along longer than you will exist. God is bigger than our time frame. Yes? If it's a number that um, that repeats itself, kind of thing, look at what the number is and understand that there's a message behind that. This is either really bad or really good. That's simple enough, right? Having said that, then I think somebody explained it to me this way, and I really like it. When you put together one of those, um, I'm just going to lose the word, um, crochet. You know what I'm talking about? Crochet, the, the needle thingy knit thing. Okay, how do you do that? And, and on one side, y'all don't want to, for those of you who don't, I'm lost too. Um, but you put that together, and on one side it looks, you know, needlepoint. That's what I'm saying, needlepoint. And when you put a needlepoint together, all right, on the front side of it, all the stitches are really sweet and cute. You know, what I'm saying? on the bottom side of it, you've got the knots where you tie it off, and you've got the, you've got the, uh, the, the places where the strings hang down, and it looks. You look at the the back underside of it, and it doesn't look pretty at all, does it? Okay. Look at the top side of it, and it's exactly what you want in the first place. You look at the Book of Revelation. Let me let me encourage you with this. Read the book, understanding that John got to go on the top side. Okay? We're looking at it from the bottom side. Okay? We see heaven. We see evil and good. We see it from the bottom side. All the thorny knots, all the loose ends, all the things that go unanswered, all the questions that we have, all the conflict that goes on, all, the, all that, and it all goes like that. And John, it says that God transported him, Jesus transported him to heaven, and there he was in the throne room, and he got to look at it and go, oh, that's what it looks like. 
keep that picture in mind. It helps. Now, this is the only thing that, that I'm going to, to say is a personal preference, and it's just a personal preference, and then we get into the text. <clears throat> this is God's opinion. You can disagree with me if you want. You just nod and say, okay, that sounds okay. No, that doesn't sound okay. We'll go on. Okay? It doesn't, it doesn't, you know. When I look at the book of Revelation, I think slinky. I know it gets your attention. You know what a slinky is, right? Okay? It's a coiled piece of wire okay, metal that you take it, you know, that thing, you know, and you can set it and it'll go down the stair, you know, and it'll flip over on itself and kind of thing. But it's made of all those coiled wires, kind of thing. I look at the book of Revelation, that's what I think. I see that thing, I see Revelation marching us toward the judgment of God. Okay? But I see it made up of reoccurring coils. Okay? Periods of conflict and redemption and things that happen and things that, you know, uh, that happen that, that, that are good, things that happen that are bad. I just see that happening because it's that way. But I see the whole Bible that way. That's just me personally. I see the whole Bible that way. Because if I'm going to go, Romans 15 and verse 4 says, the things that were written before time were written for our instruction. Okay? Then if I look at Judges and I take the story of Samson, okay, and I look at that, then I think, okay, what's the message for me? Slinky. Okay? If I take the, the message of Samson and it pulls over into my life and then it makes sense for someone else, then it, you see how it just keeps marching through time. Okay? At the same time, the lesson itself is a repeating lesson, especially, for instance, in the book of Judges. The cycle of apostasy, okay? the plan of salvation, okay? the, the plan of redemption of God. It's that, it's that coiled okay, thing where things have to do with God, okay? and he's always at the center. Okay? Can't always see him, can't touch him, can't smell him, can't taste him, but he's always at the center. Okay? It's his slinky, okay? but it's coiled around his presence, his purposes. In his law, and it moves us forward. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, all that to say this. In context, I'm going to sit down in chapter 1, okay, and make a couple of bumps, and then we're done. Okay. Uh, one in chapter 15, one in chapter 16. And then we'll end up in chapter 21. Chapter 1. I want you to notice something that happens in Revelation chapter 1. First of all, John says in chapter 1, verse 1, here's where people... Start sitting down in different places. Okay. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice it's one. Okay, it's not revelations. It's one. One revelation. Okay, this is, and the reason is, and that's a very important thing. I told you I was going to get busy and you get too early, but I'm not. Um, but the idea is that the final revelation of God is who? Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter one says he has spoken to four times in prophets and and through his walk law, but now he speaks of, at the last times through his son Jesus. If I'm going to receive a revelation, it's going to be the final revelation, and it's going to be from Jesus, alright? And that's what John says. Okay? It's a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant. John, underline or look at the phrase, must soon take place. That's where a lot of people say, okay, this happened within that first generation. Great. It could be the 60s or the 90s, but it happened within the time when John was writing. It was soon to take place. It was a persecution that was coming. 
I get that. Why? Because all the forces of evil gather. There's this big battle in the Armageddon, and the thing happens, you know, thing, and all this vivid imagery, you know, kind of thing. But it was soon to take place. What's my take on that? Is that when people jump up and down and go, I said, what was it? Um, what was that guy in, in, in Iraq? What was, what was his name? Remember? Um, they caught him in a hole in the ground, and we went over there and took some of What? Saddam Hussein, right? Okay? I knew that. I want you to say. There you go. Well, what did he say? He says, you come over here and fight me, it's going to be the what? It's going to be the mother of all wars. Okay? I've heard, that, I've heard that phrase five different times in my lifetime. It's going to be the mother of all wars. And we go over there, and, and they go over here, whatever kind of thing. And the idea is that that's just, that's just a bunch of, you know, what, and the thing is that what you have to understand is, these things, these things shouldn't bother you because God is still in control. So, chapter 1. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. I don't know about you, but I can take from that a lesson. Right? I understand Revelation was written to seven churches. I understand that it was soon to take place. But I'm blessed, are you not? We're blessed... Okay, because I'm reading these words, okay, and I'm looking at that and understanding the world is a violent, chaotic, evil place without Jesus. That the forces that are against us sometimes are overpowering, it seems, but their doom is written up and God will see us through. We may die for our faith in martyrdom, and we may and we may persevere. Only time will tell. But I will still be blessed. Does that make sense? Okay. Now look at chapter 1 verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Love that. Two things there. First of all, written to seven churches. Have context now. Amazingly, you read through the seven churches and a lot of people want to do Revelation through the first seven churches and kind of skip the rest of the chapters, you know, when they study. But the seven churches are remarkably like who? Us. So, are they real churches? Yes. Okay. Did they go through those things? Yes. Okay. But are they also symbolic or are, also, are they also representative? Probably is a better word. Are they, are they also representative of all churches? That makes sense, doesn't it? Okay. So you can see Revelation has that then and there, now and here application. Okay, so let's go. So I see that. No, let's see. Um, eight. Now let's go. Behold, verse 7, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You're going to hear that phrase over and over and over again in the book of Revelation. Who is, who was, and who is to come. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same when, yesterday, today, and forever. So this is one of those things, this is why when you ask me my view of Revelation, I'm going to tell you 
that I'm looking at this thing, you know, is that this is a, this is a once for all. Okay, Jesus is the answer of yesterday, today, and forever. It was the same who is, who was, and who is to come. Right? And it goes that way all the time throughout that book. All right. Now let's look at verse nine. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus. Don't read over that too fast. Go back and look at that again. A fellow partaker in the tribulation, the kingdom, and the perseverance which are in Jesus. Those are the keys. That's a key there. Okay? There is a tribulation that Christians face. If we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, and the world does what it does in reaction to that, that's trouble. Tribulation. Trouble. Okay? Not the tribulation, but tribulation. It's just trouble. And as such, then, we're part of the kingdom. We are the kingdom in a world, and we face trouble. But we persevere. That's the point of the book. Persevere. Why? Because if you hang on to the end, you win. Isn't that right? That's the point. If you hang on to the end, you win. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Verse 10. Love that verse. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he said, I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to look at the voice who was speaking to me. What's your picture of Jesus? When I say Jesus, what's the, what's the, what's the picture in your head? Let me ask you something. People have drawn pictures of Jesus for hundreds of years. The one that was always given to me when I went to visit the church where my grandmother worshipped, they had these little picture cards. I don't know if I remember these or not. They're little picture cards. And every Sunday you got a little picture card. Okay? I think I've got some of them back in my office. They had the little picture cards. And they would show different pictures. Like this would be uh, Elijah you know, going up to heaven in the fiery chariot. And this would be Moses parting the Red Sea. When it came to Jesus, it was always the same picture. Okay? It was a like a 13th, 13th 14th century picture of, of Jesus holding a lamb. And he had this long, pale face and this beautiful brown hair that was just, you know, just it looked like it was, you know, just done that day, that kind of thing. And, you know, it was parted, you know, kind of thing. And he had this look in his eyes. And this was Jesus, right? I mean, y'all seen that picture? Y'all seen that picture? Yeah. I go in people's houses and they have a picture of Jesus, okay? Same picture, maybe in a different form, kind of thing. Now I want you to take that picture, though, and I want you to do something for me. Hold that picture in your head for a minute and see if this challenges that view. This is what John saw. I turned to see with the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. 
Let me ask you something. Did you see Jesus differently? Jesus in art sometimes is a passive character. Jesus in Revelation is what? He's a warrior. He is the one who rides the white horse. He is the one who comes and slays the dragon. He is the one okay, who does these things for us. One of the things they tell us in research, in, in religion, religious research, is that a lot of trouble right now, there's a lot of, a lot of disconnect between males, okay, boys especially, and religion. Because in religion, they're always told, okay, when you come to church, love everybody, be kind to everybody, you know, take care of everybody, which are very nurturing things. Okay, very nurturing and very important. Don't get me wrong. Very important, very nurturing things. Okay, but they're also associated with typically female, you know, feminine, you know, acts. You know, the nurturing, the loving, the kindness, the kind of thing. You know, kind of, and boys, okay, boys on the other hand, you know, they're the rough and tumble crowd. Okay, a lot of times, you know, and they want a warrior. They want somebody out there that's feet, you know, show like burnished bronze and got the sharp sword and he's got the, you know, kind of thing. Because they need to see, see Jesus as a champion. And I'm, of, that's what research tells me. I'm of the opinion that probably it's a mix for most everybody. If you're a man, you need a champion who tells you you can be kind and respect women and take care of the church. And lead your family to heaven. If you're a woman, I think you need to know that who you are is important to God. And all those all those innate things, those caring things, those nurturing things are important. But you need a champion. You need somebody to say, you know what, if I'm going to marry someone, I need to marry someone like him. Someone who will take a stand. Someone who speaks the truth. Someone who leads the church. Someone who is, who was, and is to come all about God. And we can't emphasize that enough. Because if we do, then we know our place is not. God loves us and expects from us that kind of personality. Now, having said that, so if you turn over, I've talked too long, I'm sorry. If you turn over, turn over, and uh, chapter 15 is representative, if you look quickly. There's a scene in heaven, happens in chapter 7, has chapter 4, chapter 7, chapter 5, chapter 4, 5, chapter 7, chapter 15, chapter 20. Okay, it goes back and forth. Okay, there is this, there, in chapter 15, you're going to bump right back down to the earth. There's this chaos and violence and, and wickedness and these kind of things. And it just keeps moving toward this thing. It moves from heaven to earth, heaven to earth, heaven to earth. Why? I can only guess. That God is reminding us that where you live and what you face right now okay, is not perfect. But then again, it never was meant to be. Not since, not since we choose sin. Because of our choices, because of where we live and how we live, and the people around us, this world, for lack of a better term, messed up. The only person who can put that right is Jesus Christ. That's why we have to go out into the world and share the gospel, okay? Because that's what sets things right. You want to know the origin of the word hospital, okay? The origin of the word hospital was the came from what they described the church doing to sick and the infirm. 
It was the church who started that. Why? Because it was different. They were different in how they did it. We have to be the difference makers. I believe with all my heart that Revelation points us to that point where we want to be in that place where there's no more tears and no more crying and no more death, where there's God coming down and the Lamb is the light who, who, who shines and there's never a darkness there. I believe that's where we want to be and that's heaven and that's a beautiful thing. I know that there's a judgment day because he tells me that. And on that day the books will be opened and I want my name written in that book. Amen? Having said that, I live in a world that will not necessarily support that. But I need to be the person who stands for the kingdom and perseveres to take my place before the throne of God when day shall end. Now, you can read the book of Revelation and what you think. But for now, the invitation is yours. Our champion invites you to be a part of what he does in this world. You need to do that by being baptized with the Genesis. Anything we can help you do. Come to the front and make your knee known.